Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 12, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tracy. Good morning to everyone. Good morning to those who are joining us at home. Good morning to those who are down in the venue and to uh, those in the room here. Glad that uh, you've joined us this morning for worship. I want to mention just a couple of things. We would love to have you fill out the connection card, whether you're here today or you're at home. Just a great way for us to know who is here, and that's a way you can communicate prayer requests to us. As well, each week we have been including some uh, kind of feedback questions just to get a more kind of a snapshot of how people are doing. And so that's been great the last couple of weeks as many of you have filled those out to tell us how you are doing. So you can get there to the, through the uh, uh, Church Center app or through, uh, if you're watching on the website, uh, you can get there uh, to the connection card there as well. The other thing I want to mention today from 3 to 5 p.m., we are having an ice cream social uh, out at the Cottonwood Shelter by Tuttle Creek. We would ask uh, that you would register so we can plan. Uh, all the ice cream will be self-contained uh, uh, things, so we want to make sure we have enough. But uh, if you, a number of you have signed up, but if you still would like to join us, you can do that. Again, go to the Church Center app. You can get there on uh, Facebook. There's an announcement. Or if you go to the e-blast that was out on Tuesday, uh, you can register uh, on, online that way. So... Three years ago, almost uh, to the day, this, uh, there was a far-right extremist gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia, to protest the removal of a Confederate statue in a local park. Uh, local government officials had ordered the removal of this statue uh, after Dylan Roof had gone into the Charleston, South Carolina church and shot black 
nine uh, black members of that congregation. And uh, this gathering in Charlottesville was called Unite the Right. It was a gathering of white supremacists that turned violent, as you remember, as protesters and counter-protesters clashed. And you probably remember that uh, one counter-protester, Heather Heyer, was killed when James Fields drove into the crowd. Three days later, Alejandro Mendez, who is the executive director of the Evangelical Free Church's All People Ministry, wrote an open letter to the Evangelical Free Church family. In other words, he wrote it to us. And it was entitled, An Open Letter to Those Who Are Struggling, Aiming for the Kingdom of God Through Racial Strife. And he opened his letter this way. This is just the the start. He said this. This is an open letter to all who are struggling to figure out what comes next or how to apologize for what's going on in America in light of Charlottesville. America seems to be in the midst of childbirth contractions. I believe that events taking place in Ferguson, New York City, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Dallas, Charlotte, and Charlottesville are not disconnected occurrences, but may actually be the new normal. Recent events may well represent what the near future looks like, due both to our country's demographic shifts and to the build-up frustrations of generations of African Americans who have received the brunt of racism, exploitation, and marginalization. For too long, the church has been both complacent and even part of the problem. And then he said this, we have an amazing opportunity before us to be proactive, but will we? An amazing opportunity to be proactive, but will we? It was a great question three years ago, and it is a great question today. We have a great opportunity to be proactive, but will we? And some would even ask, should we? Should we? Isn't getting involved in issues around racial justice, racial reconciliation, isn't that a kind of distraction from the main thing that God has called us to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel? I want to say this morning, as we look at the passage that we're going to look at, that pursuing racial unity is not a distraction from the main thing, but that it is indeed part of the good news that Jesus is calling us to proclaim. Today, we're continuing our series on the glory of God. We're continu- and over the last number of weeks, we've been considering uh, various, aspects, various aspects of the glory of God with the hope and the, the, the desire that as we are more and more captivated by the glory of God, that our lives would be oriented around living for the glory of God. And so even as we think about this topic today, that's our desire still, that we would become captivated with the glory of God and living for the glory of God. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 that uh, Tracy so wonderfully read there. Um, before we look at that passage, though, I want to summarize the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2 is all about the gospel, and most of us are pretty familiar with the first 10 verses, maybe less so the verses that Tracy read. The first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, uh, Paul's describing about how we are restored in our vertical relationship with God, right? We were all, we were lost, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were children of wrath, um, but God showed up, God did something, God's grace showed up, and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you're saved through faith, and so this relationship with God was restored, and so the gospel is about a restored relationship with God, of course it is, but too often, That's as far as we go. That's as far as we think 
and, and consider the, what the gospel is about. But Paul goes on in this passage that we're going to look at today and tells us that the gospel is also about restored relationships with one another. The gospel is also about restored relationships with one another. So this is a, a really long passage, and, and Paul, you know, there's so much nuance. We really don't have time to look at the, the depth of this passage. We're trying to keep our sermons shorter in these days. But what I want us to do is to see, like, the big picture that Paul is describing here about this, this reconciliation in relationships. And so I want to see the kind of the you know, big picture of what he's saying. And the first thing that Paul is describing is, is that our relationships were broken. Our relationships were broken. And in this passage, he's specifically talking about the Jewish-Gentile division. Here's just some some descriptors that he uses. In verse 12, he says to those who were Gentiles that before they came to believe in Christ, they were separate from Christ. And so that's the vertical relationship. But he also says they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. In verses 14 and 16, he uses the word enmity to describe the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. There was enmity between them. In verse 19, he says that the Gentiles were strangers and aliens. Okay, so, I mean, you read through this passage, it's pretty clear that the Gentiles, they don't belong, they don't fit, they're, 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 they're uncircumcised, they're excluded, they're outsiders, and there's enmity between Jew and Gentile. And so this was a division that was very, very deep. It was social, it was religious, and it was racial, this division between Jew and Gentile. If you spend any time in the New Testament, you see it, right? Just the, the Jewish-Gentile conflict and, and the animosity between the two. And so what Paul goes on to describe in this passage is how God intervened in this brokenness to restore these relationships. He explains that God brings into existence a new humanity through Christ. So let's look at verse 14. God brings into an, an existence a new humanity through Christ. Or start in verse 13. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, that's the vertical aspect of the gospel, a restored relationship with God. But then he goes on to talk about the horizontal. He says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This is what Jesus prayed on, on the last night, right? John 17, that we would all be, be one. And so through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, he brings both Jew and Gentile near to God, gives them peace with God, but also peace with each other. He says that Jesus made both groups into one, and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So this is one of those things we don't have time to look at. Like, what is that dividing wall? Some would say it's, it's a wall that was in the temple. Others would say it's the, 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 the law that uh, the Jews followed and the Gentiles uh, didn't. Um, what I want us to see, though, is that Jesus did, he broke down that wall, and through that he restored the brokenness between Jew and Gentile. And so you look at verse 15. It says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. 
So Jesus, through his death, reconciles Jew and Gentile. He puts to death the enmity between the two, and he brings into existence what Paul calls one new man. The NIV translates it, translates it as one new humanity out of the two. Gentiles didn't become Jews, and Jews didn't become Gentiles, God birthed something totally new, something unexpected, something that hadn't existed before. And it's called one body. It's the church. And this is part of the gospel, that God not only restores vertical relationship with God, but he restores relationship between ethnic and racial and social groups where there was division. In verse 19, Paul uses the phrase members of the household of God to further describe this new thing. So both Jew and Gentile becomes part of the household of God. They become part of the family of God. And so for the Jew, if God is their father, and for the Gentile, if God is their father, that means they're siblings, right? Jew and Gentile belong to the same family of God. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the new thing that God brought into existence through Christ. And so, if we go back to the question of should the church engage issues of racial unity, what do you think? What is the gospel? Yes, it's part of the gospel that we are called to proclaim. This is not a distraction from the main thing. It is part of the main thing that the gospel proclaims, a restored relationship with God and restored relationship with each other. That is the fullness of the gospel. I love how John Stott put this in a book uh, that he wrote back in 1984 called The Message of the, the, to the Ephesians. He said this, I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel than that the church should be and should be seen to be what by God's purpose and Christ's achievement it already is, a single new humanity, a model of human community, a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other. The evident dwelling place of God by his spirit. Only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker. Only then will God receive the glory due his name. Reconciliation is part of the gospel. And I think Stock gets it right that when people around us, when the world around us sees real racial reconciliation, real racial unity in the church, they begin to believe that Jesus is the true peacemaker. It's part of proclaiming the gospel. This past week, um, Cindy and I spent uh, the whole week in Denver. I'd like to say we were up in the mountains and that kind of thing. We were actually out there. Cindy had a, some doctor's visits. She's had some respiratory things going on. So she spent the whole week at National Jewish Hospital in Denver. Mostly good news, so don't worry about that. But uh, if you want to ask later, I can fill you in. But uh, anyway, so I spent the whole week trying to uh, find places to work on the sermon, which is a little hard during COVID. You know, you can't go out to Starbucks very easily. And, and uh, so last Wednesday, I actually had the chance to work at a church called New Life Church in Aurora, Colorado. It's an evangelical free church pastored by a high school friend of mine. And I knew a little bit about their history, but uh, I learned more about their history. I had, a, had lunch with Jeff uh, on Wednesday, and he was just sharing a little bit about their church and their experience. And so when Jeff first got to the church in the early 90s, Aurora was, if I remember right, something like 80% white, 20% Hispanic, uh, black, um, Asian. 
And, uh, and if I remember right again, I think the New Life Church was like 90% white. So that was where they were as a church. But uh, over the years, uh, the Aurora community has really changed. And uh, today, Aurora is 43% white, 18% Hispanic, 16% black, 6% Asian, and, and of course others to make up the 100% there. But uh, Jeff's conviction as a community was changing is that the church should reflect the local community. And so they began to do the hard work of becoming an ethnically and racially diverse church. Today, new life is 50% non-white. The church is a beautiful mix of Hispanic, Filipino, Middle Eastern, Ethiopian, black and white brothers and sisters working and worshiping together. And, and Jeff said, it is not easy. They've had to work at this. They've had to work real hard. But God has done a really beautiful thing in their church. And so in light of my sermon about how does the glory of God connect to racial unity, I asked him, like, how, how are you seeing the glory of God lifted up because of what's going on in your church? And he shared a number of things. I want to share three things that, that he shared with me. First, he shared about how a few years ago, uh, when a new police chief was coming onto the, the police force in Aurora, apparently coming from outside the community, another local uh, government official told this new police chief that he should go visit New Life Church to learn about the community. Because New Life is living out racial, recon racial reconciliation, the community notices. Is God's name not glorified? When the local community sees racial unity working in a local church, so much so that they say, if you want to learn about this community, go to New Life and see what's going on there. Another thing he shared. He shared about how, is, how each culture, they, they come, uh, each culture brings their own strengths and, and weaknesses in terms of how they, they do life with God. And, and so, you know, maybe one is more... Um, intellectual in their approach to God. Maybe one is more uh, experiential, expressive, and, and you know, there's just this, all these ranges of, of how different cultures approach God. And, and as they bring their different strengths, they sharpen each other, they refine each other, they teach each other. In my mind, it's like we, we talk about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, like with those diversity of gifts, we're in a better place to, to walk with God together. And I get a sense that he's saying culturally the same things happen as, as the different cultures come and exp express their differences. He talked about how he has learned from some of his non-white brothers and sisters in the church. Some of them, he was talking about how they just have this, they, they so believe, just like Jeff does, that the Spirit of God lives in them. But he's seen in some of his non-white brothers and sisters just this moment-by-moment moment dependence on the Spirit of God dwelling within them. And they have encouraged and, and sharpened Jeff as he's observed how they have walked in the Spirit. God's glory is put on display as the best of each culture shapes and influences and disciples each other into a deeper knowledge and experience of God. The last thing Jeff mentioned is that many Muslims and Buddhists are, are moving into their area. And because of the diversity of their church, they have been able to build bridges to these people moving into their community. And they're seeing Muslims and Buddhists coming to faith in Christ. All of these are examples they're, they're, they're aspects of how living out the fullness of the gospel by pursuing racial unity puts God's glory on full display, right? Those are just some of the examples that he gave me. Now, what does this truth that Paul talks about here in Ephesians 2, 
and that we see illustrated in a church like New Life in Aurora mean for us here in Manhattan? We're not Aurora, Colorado, right? I mean, even if we tried, we could not have the kind of diversity that a church in Aurora, Colorado has because that's not Manhattan. So what does this mean for us? Well, here's what I think the principle is. Regardless of where we live, all of us should seek to become the kind of Christ followers who embody the fullness of the gospel by working to live in racial reconciliation. Doesn't matter where we live, we should be trying to develop this kind of heart, this kind of approach to each other in the body of Christ. We should seek to become the kind of Christ followers who embody the fullness of the gospel by working to live in racial unity. I want to share a little of my journey around this topic. And as I do, maybe you can kind of see my approach to what it's looked like to, to grow, to growing in this area. Many of you know, I grew up in south central Nebraska on a farm. And diversity there is like, are you Swedish or German, right? I mean, that's it. Uh, and so this was not a topic that just wasn't on my radar for most of my early life. Everyone is from, you know, northern Europe where I, where I grew up. Probably the first time I began to think about issues of race was in the early 90s when uh, we moved in next to a black family and got to become friends with them. And they began to trust us and we'd have meals with them. And, and probably, probably was the first family that I began to learn like a little of their experience in Manhattan. And, and I remember Bernard sharing about how, I mean, he's about finishing up his PhD here at K-State. He's a professional. And uh, how when he would go into a department store he would be followed around because of the color of his skin. Remember Elsia sharing about how she would be checking out at a, a grocery store with two young children, and the baggage helpers the checking out there would not offer to take her groceries out like they would other customers. This is the first time I started thinking about the reality that people like Bernard and Elsia, two beautiful, wonderful Christian people, had a very different experience of life, even here in Manhattan, than I did just because the color of their skin was darker than mine. About three years ago, and I, and, you know, I know over these, those years there was probably some growth, but uh, they moved away and, and probably, you know, it just wasn't think about as much, but maybe three or four years ago really began to lean into this issue again as, as, you know, if you're looking at what's going on in our world, how can you, like, not, right? And so I began to read and listen again, and about three years ago, I stumbled across a book entitled The Blood of Emmett Till, and I'm ashamed to say I didn't even know who Emmett Till was until I read this book. If you don't know who Emmett Till was, he was a 14-year-old black boy from Chicago spending the summer in Mississippi with his cousins in 1955. And uh, because he was from Chicago, he didn't understand all the Jim Crow stuff that uh, you had to walk by in, in the southern part of the United States. And uh, he was accused of offending a, a, a white woman in like a five-and-dime kind of store. A couple of nights later, that white woman's husband and his half-brother banged on the door of Emmett Till's uncle's house, went into the bedroom where he was sleeping and sharing a bed with his cousin and yanked him out of the bed, beat him beyond recognition, 
put a bullet in his head, tied a fan to his body, and dumped him in a river. And the two men were acquitted. It's a horrifying story. It made me weep. And it also lit a fire in me to do the work necessary to become the kind of Christ follower who embodies the fullness of the gospel by seeking to work in racial unity. To be this kind of Christ follower means growth and change in my life, and so that's what I have been pursuing. Here's how I'd summarize my approach, and I don't think this is, you know, I'm just starting, but here's where I've started. First, I made the decision to lean in, to lean into this topic. Because I'm white, I don't have to. Because I'm white, I could ignore this topic and my life can be comfortable. My life can be fine. But if I'm going to love my brothers and sisters of color, it's just not an option. I have to lean in. I have to lean in. Secondly, I'm seeking to learn. I don't know what I don't know about this topic. When Steve preached on this topic a few weeks ago about God building this eternal, multi-ethnic kingdom, one of the things he encouraged us was to take up a posture of humility. And that's what learning's about, right? It's saying, I don't know what I don't know. I need to be humble, and I need to say, I, I, I got things that I need to learn. So it's about acknowledging, I may not know some of our troubling 400-year history with race as an evangelical church. And so I'm trying to learn through books and podcasts and documentaries, however I can. Third, I'm trying to listen, trying to listen to our brothers and sisters of color to understand their perspective, to understand their experience. And so I'm listening to black voices in the Christian church, but I'm also listening to black voices that are not part of the church because I just, I just need to understand their experience and their, their perspective. I'm leaning in, I'm learning, I'm listening. And finally, when I see the ugly stuff, I lament. And there is ugly stuff in our history as a country, as an evangelical church, and in my heart. And when I see it, I lament. Lament is a way to respond to sin and brokenness and all the complexities that we do not understand. Lament is is not about fixing the problem that we see. It's simply about going to God with our expressions of grief and sadness and anger and confusion and despair and laying it before Him. Now, is there more that God may call me to? Is there more that God may call you to? Of course, I think there's more that he will call me to, but, but leaning in, learning, listening, and lamenting is a great place to start for any believer who's seeking to become the kind of Christ follower who embodies the fullness of the gospel by seeking to live in racial unity. It's a great place to start if we want to become the kind of church that embodies all of the gospel, both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of the gospel, that we might bring the most glory to God's 
name. And this is the kind of church that we want to be. We have made a decision that we want to lean into this topic. And so we're asking all of us, lean in, learn, listen, and lament that we might proclaim the full gospel for God's glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel in all of its dimensions. We're so grateful that the gospel proclaims that we can have a restored relationship with our Father in heaven, that your grace showed up and you did that. But God, as Paul has taught us here, the gospel is not only about a restored relationship with you, it is a restored relationship of, of all relationships where there was racial, ethnic, social division. God, the gospel speaks to that. The gospel can bring peace there. May we as a local church here in Manhattan, may we as the church universal model this. May we demonstrate this, God, that the world around us would genuinely see that Jesus is truly the peacemaker. May your glory be exalted. May your glory be lifted up. May your name be lifted up as we model and we live out the full gospel here at Faith in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.